Welcome to the first in a series of very special podcasts presented by the Union County Drug-Free Coalition. I'm Pete Emmons, your host. Last March, our world was turned upside down with the COVID-19 crisis that significantly altered our normal routine. For teens, this crisis has been extremely difficult with being isolated from friends, school, and all the extracurricular activity that they are accustomed to. At the same time, this has caused a myriad, and I do mean myriad, of challenges for parent guardians who have been faced with new family management questions. A May Harris poll conducted for the National 4-H program indicated that 7 out of 10 teens were struggling with mental health issues and that 61% had experienced some level of loneliness. The Union County Drug-Free Coalition recognizes the serious implications of this situation and has assembled a panel of experts to provide practical, helpful information. Joining us today, our distinguished show guests include Dr. Phil Atkins, Executive Director of the Union County, Ohio Mental Health and Recovery Board, Adam Shirk, Superintendent of the Fairbanks School District in Marysville, Ohio, parent and member of the Union County, Ohio Drug-Free Coalition, Christina Kesterson, parent and Union County, Ohio Drug-Free Coalition member, Rachel Baxter, the Director of Youth Services at the Family YMCA of Union County, Ohio. Well, welcome everybody to the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to be here today today and share your professional expertise and really help us address these critical issues. Well, let's begin our conversation here today looking at some of the basic manifestations of what this isolation with teams has really covered and caused uh, as we've, you know, from March, gotten into this whole situation. So, Christina, first of all, as a parent, speak to us, what were some of the initial issues uh, when this first broke that you really had to contend with and, and share with us about schedules, tech time in the house, overall motivation, those kind of factors that you had to deal with. Thanks, Pete. I think initially it was just the fear of the unknown. Um, and um, we try not to, to let fear in our house, uh, but we, you know, just we needed to go with the flow. There were, it, it just happened so quickly um, and the expectation of so what next and what is not going to happen um, were questions that my son had specifically. But initially, um, I think uh, it went pretty well. Uh, we had a pretty good routine of getting up um, somewhat early and getting started on homework right away with his school schedule. And as time went by, uh, homework became a little bit later in the morning, let him sleep in a little bit. Um, but I was okay with that. And, you know, he, he wasn't completely 100% motivated, but he knew that he needed to get it done and usually got his homework done pretty efficiently within about two and a half to three hours. And he's currently a freshman, so he was in eighth grade then. But he would um, just kind of go with the flow. He's, you know, pretty, pretty resilient and in that you know he is uh, just would would be able to to adapt to appointments and different things that you know uh, we still had at the beginning that you know very quickly subsided um, but we took breaks as needed um, he then after homework would have the opportunity for technology time you know it didn't happen until homework was done and um, Initially, I tried to handle uh, the amount of time that he was on there as best as I could, uh, putting a time parameter on there, and usually it was about two, two and a half hours per day. But I encouraged him to go outside. He did that daily and rode his bike and you know went to shoot hoops, and at, at the beginning was still 
interacting with friends. So it sounds like really he was very flexible and, and able to make those adaptations, uh, you know, without a whole lot of, well, I should say a whole lot of stress, but with, with minimal uh, stress happening. Adam, f talk to us about the school perspective. You obviously had to deal with major challenges when this first broke uh, last in March. So talk to us about some of your biggest concerns with, with the students and uh, some of the initial things that you had to deal with. So going back to March, it, it, you know, uh, I think everyone that has existed in the, this this experience time has been a little bit different is thinking back to March feels like several years ago at this point and and how we transitioned to that um, we looked back at our calendar the other day as an administrative team and we had a briefing with the Union County Health Department and other public officials Friday March 6th and just talked about what the impact of COVID-19 could be and then within five days the governor made an announcement that all um, K-12 schools across the state of Ohio were closing at the end of business that following Monday. Uh, we were prepared to go in that afternoon and talk to our staff about, we're gonna be canceling some events, we're gonna be doing this, and then the press conference came out and said, you're gonna close. That was a very challenging afternoon. Our team uh, of, of district leaders stayed. We were at the office um, very late that night to, to pull together communications for our parents and for our staff. And it, it really comes down to leadership in a crisis is dependent on truth, honesty, and clarity. And so we were trying to be as, as clear and honest with our, with our families because we knew, um, to Christina's point, there was fear initially. We did not know what was going to happen in the, um, whether it was with just education or life in general. And so we felt our role initially was we have to stay calm, we need to provide clarity, and we need to let everybody know it's gonna be okay from a school end. And the weeks that followed that initial announcement, we had families that were in very different places, whether that was internet access, whether it was access to devices, whether it was nutritional needs, academic needs, social emotional needs, and, and we did not wanna build frameworks that were not flexible. So as we constructed how we were gonna to respond to the initial shutdown of COVID-19, due to COVID-19, it was how do we care for the people um, within our school district? And, and, and that's what our spring was, was how do we care for the people in our school district to navigate the initial phases? And then um, that transitioned right around the middle of April going, we're gonna reopen at some point, whether that's this year or you know in August of 2000 and, uh, 2020. And we began to start, we started to dialogue with parents, teachers, administrators, um, community members of what does a reopening look like for schools? And, and it was to get that perspective of, of our community so we could reopen safely, because um, our goal is to get students back to school. And, and we have been able to do that this year uh, to start with. And so it, it, it has been a, an inclusive, try to be as transparent as we can and build plans that support um, a variety of needs across our school district. Well, it sounds uh, to me like the transparency and the clear communication and the messaging that you put out to all your stakeholders, the parents and the students, has really played a major role in the, in the outcomes that you've been able to achieve to this point. We have five expectations in Fairbanks local schools. Um, the One of them is communicate, communicate, communicate. We believe that it's not just what you were saying, it's how you say it. So we've done a, a lot of personal reach outs, a lot of focus groups, a lot of videos, 
um, to really personalize those message and try to meet people where they're at because even to this day there's still a lot of uncertainty of what what's going to happen throughout the course of the school year and so again when we're faced with crisis leadership needs to be truthful it needs to be open and it needs to uh, be able to to provide information to families, uh, teachers, students, um, and community members in a very concise fashion. So that's worked very well for us. Um, and that expectation, we all of our staff members strive to communicate, communicate, communicate. Excellent. Rachel, physical activity, when we talk about teens, is obviously extremely important, a core thing of the normal routine. So Obviously, it affected your operation at the Y and your youth and your youth programming. Speak to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously, we had to shut down pretty quickly as well when the announcement came. So we immediately wanted to make sure that our members and other people in the community that knew of the Y had some normalcy still by knowing what the Y has to offer them. So speaking to Adam's point, we made sure that communication was there and we tried our best to release on all of our social media website, even through the local newspaper, that the YMCA was offering online fitness classes available to all through our Y360 website. We also, while we were all at home working as directors, we created projects that focused on the health of the mind, spirit, and body for teens and adults. So we created things like at-home reading programs, we created like mental health releases that we put out, and just really those ways to say, hey, the why is still here for you, um, the why is here for your family. We created a platform on our website that listed a lot of resources through COSI, um, local STEM programs that a lot of the school systems were starting to release to parents to kind of make that connection and make sure just that teens didn't feel alone and that they felt connected to their families and that the Y was there to help them. So really building bridges and connectivity through creative, out of the box, online strategies to yeah. reconnect and establish that and minimize the impacts of the isolation and the loneliness. Mm -hmm. uh, Phil, from a mental health perspective, you know, teens by their nature are very social human beings. And for them, this is a whole new scenario. I mean, it's a whole new scenario for, the area, for all of us, but you know, the whole world of teens and, and their operation and what they, how they go about you know, with the school impact, the, we talked about the why, the social problems. What are some of the mental health implications of isolation and loneliness? Speak to us on that. Well, I think you said it exactly right, Pete, when we talk about teens developing in a peer environment. So if you can kind of think of child development like dandelions, so if uh, you are, a, for little kids, it's kind of like growing a dandelion in a pot. So the, the, the family is the closest unit, it forms that supportive environment, and uh, it's nurtured by a gardener who would want to nurture a dandelion, but uh, so it's, it grows in a pot. As kids develop, their developmental environment changes. Uh, because their developmental tasks change. So it's like moving that dandelion from a protected pot out into a field uh, where it can mingle with other dandelions and have other you know, great experiences. So the developmental environment for an adolescent is among peers. And we know that kids learn their tasks. They learn how to be uh, human beings by associating with other peers and, and modeling what they do, learning what they do in social situations. 
So all of the sudden, we've taken all of those dandelion teens out of the field and put them right back in a pot that's almost like a terrarium. It's almost completely closed ecosystem because they're whole. So it, it really uh, disrupts their ability to grow because they're in this controlled environment. So one of the things that we are seeing is a lot of kids uh, are kind of regressing a little bit. They're feeling, uh, you may notice behaviors from uh, a 14-year-old that act more like a nine-year-old, and that's because their environment has changed. So they've swapped back to what they know about how to manage that environment. So when parents are home with kids that are have been mature and kind of independent, and all of a sudden they're clingy or fussy like they were a few years ago, you know, it's really stressful as a parent. But that's because, you know, they're in an environment that they had, that they already completed the tasks of the pot and they needed to move on to the field. So we're definitely seeing a lot of that regressive behavior. Uh, and that's a point of conflict for a lot of families because, you know, the expectations are uh, you act like a 15 year old. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're acting like a nine-year-old or you're fighting with your much younger sister at, uh, on her developmental level and not, not your uh, good adolescent uh, worldview. So we're definitely seeing some of that regression. The other, the other thing that we're seeing is the isolation creating depression and anxiety among kids. You know, it's very difficult to be in a world where all of your support systems are co-experiencing the stress and trauma at the same time. You know, it's not like I can go to grandma's or I can go spend the night at a friend's house because guess what? They're experiencing in real time exactly what we are experiencing as kids. So it's really difficult to, to navigate this uh, because all of the expectations have changed. So all of a sudden, you may have been a kid that had a little bit of autonomy. You may have had a couple hours after school that you could kind of uh, schedule with friends or text or play video games. And all of a sudden, mom and dad are both working from home. Uh, their eyeballs are on you 24-7. We see way different behaviors coming out of kids because of that. So uh, we also know that in this transition back to school, we're hearing a lot of kids say, wow, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Uh, you know, they were so excited to get back to school. Even kids that didn't like school were excited to get back to school. So, uh, you know, because of the risk management, uh, things that schools have to do and should be doing, they're very different. It's a very different environment for them. So kids are coming home after being at school and like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I can't hug my friends. I can't, you know, uh, get in a huddle and tell secrets and, and do all of the fun things that are part of school. So we're seeing a lot of kids that were uh, just generally developing okay uh, have some significant developmental stress. World turned upside down for sure in the daily routine. Now, I know there's situations where this has even been magnified even more. For example, a single parent home or somebody that had a pre-existing mental health condition. Just a brief comment on, on that, in terms of the impact with that. Well, I think one of the concerns we had very early on was that we, when a child has a mental health concern, uh, we, we wrap a lot of services and care around that kid. 
So we may have a team of people, a neighbor, a youth pastor, a counselor, uh, someone from the school, someone from our team that is actually wrapping services and care around that kid. So all of a sudden that support system uh, had to be delivered in a very different way. So kids that have had pre-existing mental health concerns, maybe they were already an anxious kid or maybe they were already uh, kind of behaviorally defiant, we're seeing all of those things magnify. So, you know, it's like we, we've taken the intensity and doubled it. And so we've had to really be creative with how we wrap services around kids uh, to make sure that they're getting what they need. And part of that has been really helping uh, support the parents. So whether you're a single parent or uh, you know, a two-parent family or you're living with grandma or you're in foster care, you know, we want to make sure that we have the supports for the parents in place because it's, they're co-experiencing this again in real time with their kids. So you know, a lot of adults had to adjust to different work environments. They had to adjust to getting, you know, knowing when to mute and unmute on Zoom and doing all of those things. So you know, it's really been a challenge for us. Us, but we've done it we've done a pretty good job I think in creating telehealth environments and making sure that we are socially distancing but still working with families extra modifications to make it work effectively sure. well we could take the entire time of this podcast and we could go on and on and on and, and talk about all these various scenarios and situations but really when we get to the bottom of this the heart of it really let's really focus on what are positive recommendations and positive strategies that really are making a positive mark if you will I want to take the next several minutes and, and kind of go round table and, and look at this particular area what are some specific strategies and things that that meet that kind of marking with that. So Adam, what sort of practices have supported the students as they've transitioned back to the schools? So I'm gonna back up to, to when we uh, were given permission at the state level to start to talk about uh, our sports and athletics reopening, which happened in you know late May is when we started to open up our weight rooms and we're given permission to reopen. And since that time, we've used the mantra, go slow to go fast is we wanted to be very prudent in our approach because in any scenario that we pose, there are risks academically, social, emotionally, health and safety, and, and financially, quite frankly. So every one of, every scenario we're talking about has these risk levels and we have to, we have to manage them um, and we have to assess them. We started um, in May to really look through what does what does go slow to go fast? So we didn't want to jump right in because to, to the point that Phil made earlier, school is not, does not look the same, it doesn't feel the same, but we have to be able to build a culture of support and a culture of we are there for our kids. So this started back in April um, when we started having conversations with parents, with teachers, with administrators of what are the ways that we can have a, a, a safe restart. And we focused on four areas there. We focused on academics, uh, teaching and learning. We focused on logistics. We fo focused on extracurriculars. And we focused on social emotional learning needs. And so we had four groups that really put together plans for all of those regardless of how we would, would start our school year. Um, so some of the strategies that have really worked well for us have been starting in a hybrid model is that's a less number of kids so it's a balanced health and safety approach um, but it's it's fewer students so we can really get to connect with them both academically and social emotionally on a very personal level that has been a, a benefit for our school district we did series of, of public service announcements 
coming into the school year, led at the district level as well as the building level of here are things to expect and really starting that education and that front load of information before people walk through the door in August. Um, and that's paid dividends for us so we could expect what was coming, right? Like people don't deal well with uncertainty. So the more we can scaffold things in, it allows us to, again, we go slow to go fast and you know, to do things and scale things and improve them to be uh, effective. And so we started that in August. I'm going to highlight a couple things that have worked really well, especially supporting our students from a connection standpoint. Our middle school and our high school run an advisory program where it's really about connecting with students on a personal level. And, and that was our whole first week of school. We didn't talk about academics. We didn't talk about what, what learning levels we were going to be at. We talked about who they were did activities together to really reinforce relationships because that was critical to our re-entry. Um, so that's been very, very positive over the last several weeks. And we're gonna to continue to employ social emotional strategies uh, and learning throughout the course of this year to support our students. But that also then ties into our teaching staff as we have to really build in supports uh, for them. We have a, a partnership with Mary Haven. We have a school navigator that's in our building is who's meeting with teachers regularly and other staff members regularly to, to just check in, to see how they're doing, what other resources they need. And so those, those strategies have been very, very positive. And then continuing to communicate ways of supporting students at home and our teachers take a great lead in building routines for kids while they're not physically in the building um, and employing you know some standard expectations that we have across classrooms to really build a level of support whether students are there with us physically or they're at home it's really a holistic effort from everybody that's within our school community to to, to support each other and so that's been that's been a very uh, positive strategy for our schools and i think the last point i would add is we recognize that there is an equity and a vulnerability issue within remote learning. We recognize that not all students have the same experience when they're not physically present, and even when they are physically present in school, but it's amplified when students are not present. So our, our school-based teams have really tried to find ways to connect with our most vulnerable youth to provide them additional supports so they can be successful um, and feel a level of confidence and support when they're not physically present in our school buildings. So individualizing the remote approaches is what you're kind of saying. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, it's determining the, the students that need those extra supports, and our teachers do a great job of it on a classroom level, but then building systems of support within our schools. So it's there's a process to identifying who those students are and, and making sure they're connected, whether it is through our Mary Haven partnership or other community resources, so they get the get the support that they need, you know, to to continue to find some success while we're still working our way through this uh, through the pandemic. Excellent. Christina, earlier you talked a little bit about some of the, the strategies and things that were really working, but elaborate a little bit more, if you will, on some of those things that you've seen from a parent perspective that have really made a difference. Well, I think first and foremost, as a parent, we need to let our kids know that we're not perfect and we don't know all the answers and that it's ever-changing. So with that being said, you know, I've said to both of my kids, I'm not sure. I've, you know, I haven't been able to give them answers for a lot of things. Um, just communicating with them is, I think, extremely important and touching base with them. We continued dinners together, you know, as, as we tried to do, you know, during our busy school year. But we continue that. We do something called highs and lows and buffaloes. And we ask, what's, what was your high of the day? What was your low of the day? 
And what was your buffalo? What was that weird thing that happened today? That, you know, was just like, oh my goodness, yeah, what, what was that? Or I don't know how, how that happened or what that was. But it wasn't eating buffalo wild. Exactly. Um, but I think for me too, um, it's just making sure that I was engaged and not sitting there with him while he was doing homework, but, but knowing what he was doing, being a support, um, communicating with the teachers. I encouraged him to take breaks as he needed to, or even a nap if that was necessary, or you know, just have mental health breaks throughout the day. You know, at one time, too, he found that it was very helpful for him to kind of study with a friend over FaceTime. They really weren't talking, they weren't doing answers together, but they were there, they could see each other, they were both working independently, and that really worked well for him. It was kind of a comfort, I think. <laughs> Now, there's a lot of social media platforms. We've, you know, we've got Netflix. We've got youth pods out there now. There's all kinds of platforms. There's FaceTime, even FaceTime sleepovers. Who would have guessed? Who would have known that five years ago, right? What about the screen? There's some of the concerns, some of the friends, the amount of screen time, the, the tech time. How do you adjust that without overstepping boundaries on the you know, rights of the teen without sounding like, they're, like you're treating a teen you know, like they're still in the eight years old, if you will. Well, I think because they had so much screen time academically, you know, I took that into account and, um, you know, when it wasn't necessary, I didn't have him on his computer, you know, and uh, just trying to be creative with how he was doing things and not only just getting on to, to do a Zoom call with a teacher, but perhaps just emailing them instead or, um, you know, just making sure that there was a balance and, you know, that, that there was a balance not only with the screen time, but physical activity outside, because that's really important. And, you know, I, I think that's it's what our kids need and what we needed. And we always made sure that we had that family time to go for a walk or just be outside. I think we all get complacent and don't go outside enough sometimes, especially during this time of COVID. And so we were encouraging that. But as far as, you know, screen time, um, he knows his limits, and, and, and he's pretty good about listening and, and accommodating us when we had requests. But, you know, if he needed time with his friends, um, we tried to make that happen in creative ways, and sometimes that was on the screen um, in some capacity. Great. Rachel, speak to us. Speaking of physical activity, we, we've kind of underscored the importance in the growth and development. A two-parter for you, first of all. What are a few of the, the strategies that, that you've done at the Y during this time? And secondly, just a couple uh, comments of suggestions uh, for physical activity uh, that can be done individually as well, or out in the community, if you will. Absolutely. Um, so at the YMCA, one of our large missions is um, to provide a safe space for young people. And part of that is having a safe area to be physically fit. So we've definitely incorporated all the new standards for making sure our area is clean and people feel comfortable when they come. We also offer youth orientations. So if any young people aren't very comfortable using exercise equipment or trying out something new, we have fitness directors and attendants that can help teach them those skills so that they can even come into the Y on their own to try to use the equipment. Um, we also just, we noticed that social isolation was a problem for kids way before COVID-19 hit, right? I mean, you had children who were super involved in school, homework, jobs, student government, and consequently they ended up going home at night and realizing they didn't spend a lot of time with their friends. 
So then you start ruminating on not being able to have those relationships and friendships and really feeling like you're isolated from those around you. So as a why, we try to realize that that's always been a problem and bring it to the forefront and offer opportunities for kids to build new friendships, especially now when they're trying to find new ways to be active. So we really put out there information like we have a lot of positions for students and young people. If you're looking to earn money while getting back to this new normal and trying to find that autonomy in your life. We have lifeguarding positions, youth sports referee positions, those fitness attendants I talked about, a lot of them are young people that are really passionate about athletics and sports and they want to teach others how to be healthy. And then we also have our teen leaders club where kids are getting together virtually to meet and talk about community changes they want to have. Um, and then we just have alternative and youth sports that are happening as well. We have an e-gaming tournament coming up, Nerf Wars, that kind of stuff. So that we're just trying to really fill the hole so any kind of young person and any kind of personality can find control in their world to kind of fight that isolation that might be coming up again. And any uh, comment in terms of outside in the community itself, in terms of, of daily physical activity, just in general, some comments yeah, on that? Yeah, um, I mean, we all know that exercise really affects the way your brain works. So I'd say, you know, use those platforms like TikTok, Facebook, latch onto those trends that you see people doing. Even if you're not the best dancer, I'm not a great dancer either. But, you know, I always say, dance like nobody's watching. Type an email or a text like it's going to be in court someday. So be smart about the parts of your life you should. But just let loose and be who you want to be, you know. And you can always look up facts to see the relationship that that brain-boosting exercise can do. It can really change your neurons through neurogenesis and fight depression and anxiety without even trying that hard and staying positive. Phil, from a mental health perspective, two-parter for you. First, uh, a few tips that you would offer for parent guardians and, and secondly, uh, for students in terms of coping with isolation and these issues. Something that I use myself, Pete, I've kind of borrowed from the recovering community and it's the word HALT. And so HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And if I can uh, identify what I'm actually feeling, and it's usually one of those four things, and I need to have strategies in my toolbox for my own wellness, uh, how to uh, not be hungry, which I typically don't have problems with, uh, but uh, angry, lonely, or tired. And so it's really good for parents to stop and say, hey, am I one of those four things right now as I'm responding to this? Uh, or is my kid one of those things right now uh, as they're behaving? You know, all behaviors communication, our adult behaviors communication and kids' behaviors communication. And very often it's one of those four things, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. The other thing I would say for kids is we have partnered with the Union County Drug-Free Coalition to create a really exciting new uh, web page called zoomunion.org. And if you go to zoomunion.org, we have activities for everybody across the lifespan for uh, little kids, for senior adults, uh, and you can log in just on Zoom Union. You can zoom in. Those activities are facilitated by professionals. We've vetted everybody. There's some really great stuff. There's yoga. There are great parent trainings. One of the things that we really wanted to address was this 
fear of missing out that kids have. So we have FOMO groups for different ages. We have FOMO groups for uh, kids in grades, you know, five and six and seven and eight, nine and 10 and 11 and 12. So they, those are facilitated by uh, PASS, which is our prevention agency, great skills in working with kids. And they're just a place to do activities and be together in a safe space. So check out zoomunion.org. It's really great. There's stuff for adults, there's stuff for kids, and I think it's really uh, hoping, hoping to catch on as a good support. Zoomunion.org. I had not heard of that. I'm gonna have to check that out myself. It's That's amazing. There's there. stuff for us, Pete. There you go. Adam, can you share with us, and I'm sure you could fill up an entire hour with success stories, but just one shining example of, of a student who's really come through shining light with being able to manage effectively everything in the transition back to school and, and how things are going. To your point, Pete, we have, we have students that have adapted in a variety of ways, both big ways and small, to, this, to, to, to how we currently are operating. So uh, I am gonna focus on, on one, she is now a senior, and she has really shifted her academic pathways and her personal pathways based on, on COVID-19. So she reports to school only one period of day when we're in session. Um, she's taking everything else. She has moved to a College Credit Plus model. So she's taking all of her College Credit Plus uh, classes online. She's still connecting with her uh, athletic activities and then also serves in a variety of roles in our school district, including our Superintendent's Advisory Council, our Mission Vision Strategic Planning. But all of those have happened really from a pivot to a more virtual world and to just embrace those changes to really continue to develop as a young person, um, knowing where, where she wants to be at the end of her senior year. So it's been very impressive to see, but I could point to examples of our athletic teams, our, our students coming to school every day, uh, our teachers that are connecting with kids, but that, that story really stands out of just really adapting in a very short amount of time to making the situation work for their personal aspirations. As we've had this conversation here this morning, there's a few words that stand out of my mind. I hear transparency, open communication, flexibility, modifications, individualization, all those keys to put in the toolbox and dealing with the isolation factor and helping both teens and parent guardians. You know, this morning, and we could go on, I'm sure, easily the rest of the morning talking about this topic. There's just so much with it, but I believe we've, we've scratched the surface and can't thank each of you enough for your invaluable insight and sharing uh, and taking time with us here this morning, sharing with us those strategies and things from your perspectives. And as we kind of close and wind down now, I'd ask each of you to share one very special tip for our parent guardians and all of our listeners and the teens themselves. So Christina, we're gonna go around the horn and since you sit next to the host, guess who gets to answer the question first? <laughs> I think I could probably provide a lot. I have a, a lot written here, but I think for us and my family, it was just communicating and listening and understanding what my kids needed whether that was to reach out to a teacher and to communicate with them, to help with homework, to just say, you know what, it's okay to be frustrated, or to encourage them to just stop what they're doing and, and to go take a break. I think it's important um, to get that fresh air and just to know that we're not gonna do everything perfectly and that we're all learning and it's ever changing. So um, to give yourself a little bit of grace 
um, as parents too, um, but, but also to let our kids know that, that we're not expecting them to jump over the moon, you know. One step at a time, one day at a time, right? For sure. Rachel. I just always go back to the idea of taking care of yourself in spirit, mind, and body. So physical fitness is extremely important, but something like the pandemic that we've encountered has really brought to the forefront how that spirit and mind health is also extremely important. Um, you know, as humans, we expect to have others there to share our stressful times. When we don't, it tells our nervous system that we're in a dangerous environment. And as adults, we've already established our friendships and relationships through coworkers and previously established friendships, but teens don't necessarily have those yet. So we really as adults just have to remember that, and I think that we have to work to find ways to help those of all ages balance the risk of infection against the risk of being socially bonded and work on that spirit, mind, and body. Holistic, strong, holistic approach. Phil. I think the one thing I'd like to leave listeners with is that you're not in this by yourself. That we have resources for you, we have professional resources, we have peer resources, and we are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you call 800-731-5577, you can talk to some caring person on the other end, even if it's just, I am gonna lose my mind with these kids and their behavior and you just want someone to talk to, uh, or if it's a, a real mental health crisis, I'm concerned about myself, I'm concerned about my son or daughter, and so you are not in this alone. Put that number out there one more time. That's just so important. It's 800-731-5577. 800-731-5577. There you go. Adam. Christina, Rachel, and Phil have already said um, a lot of my thoughts and sentiments, so thank you for that. I think that uh, what, what you've heard today is, is very powerful and, and, and take advantage of those resources and those, those tips. I think as we navigate, anybody navigates something of significant crisis in their lives or shared across the community, it's important to remember your why. Um, Simon, Simon Sinek uh, talks about that golden circle, that, that golden why. So for, for us, as we continue to navigate and go through the challenges that COVID-19 presents our, our families, um, our personal lives, our professional lives, our school community, our, our community as a whole, um, what your personal why is, is very important. And, and knowing that will give you a, a foundation to operate from. So as you find those moments where you, you are feeling anxious, you are feeling alone, you are feeling stressed by the circumstance, remember that you have value, you add value, you add worth to the world, and what your why is, is, is immeasurable. So remember your why. And Rachel, what is the best uh, address, social media address for the Y. Yeah, of course, our website is uniondecountyymca.org. And then we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, again, I can't thank each of you enough 
for all your time and expertise of being part of this podcast this morning and making it value-added for all of our listeners. We also want to tell everybody that you can contact the Executive Director Nancy Beals of the Union County Drug-Free Coalition. The best way to get a hold of Nancy is through her email, which is nancy at mhrbuc.org. That's nancy at mhrbuc.org. Well, join us again for the very next podcast, which will be on October 7th. And the topic at that time will be drug take back. Until then, this is Pete Emmons saying, stay healthy and stay safe.